Luke chapter 17. You know, as, uh, we, we're going to look here at the story of the ten lepers, but as we, we come to that and think about this, your Christmas can be a confusing, uh, confusing time in our society, really, and uh, people kind of wonder, which way do you, what do you do? We, we talk and we, we sing and we celebrate ideas like peace and generosity and family, and we talk about these things a lot and, and sing about them and, and say that that's what we are, but then at the same time, the shops have all their sales and everything is busting with, with uh, people looking for things to buy and presents to go and, uh, and this pressure to buy. And there's even in our society this, this great expectation that uh, we should both give and receive presents. You know, I know back uh, you know, at work, even you know, a couple of months ago, people were already asking me what work was going to give them for their Christmas bonus. There's this expectation that at Christmas we get something, we receive something, and that there's this gift giving. Uh, and as a Christian family, it can be a really hard thing to find a balance to in this society. I mean, you want your children to, to be generous of heart and love to give, and we want to be people that are generous and love giving and, and sharing our, our home and our, our family and our lives with others. But at the same time, we want to try and balance that idea of being generous and, and good-spirited and, and all with this idea of not having an entitlement sort of attitude, like we deserve something or we need to expect something coming at Christmas, despite what everyone around us is telling us that that's what happens. We should get all these things at Christmas. But of course, this attitude of entitlement isn't just confined to the Christmas season. We see it all the time, all, all around. We live in a society of entitlement. It thinks we deserve more than what we get. We, we genuinely believe we only deserve good things in this life. That's how most people see the world, that we genuinely believe we don't deserve anything bad. We genuinely deserve only good things. And so we see things like suffering. Suffering is seen as unfair unless we deem you to be deserving of that suffering. But for the most part, we see things like suffering as being unfair. You don't deserve to suffer. This episode, which we're going to read here in just a moment, probably doesn't come in chronological order in terms of how Luke has been laying it out. But it does fit in here. He uses this, this experience that Jesus has to illustrate what he has been talking to us about from the last couple of chapters of Luke, from 15 through 17. Uh, and so let's read this this morning, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, and we're going to read down through verse 19. It says, Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? 
Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning to glean its truths, we pray that it would encourage us and and draw us in our hearts of thankfulness that we would see the glory of what you have done within us, celebrate that with great joy and full thanksgiving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You hear this story and what, what has been happening in these last few chapters of Luke as he's been particularly talking with the Pharisees and the Jews is coming about their their sense of entitlement that they deserve what God could give, all the favor that God could give. The Pharisees believed that they were going to be favored by God because they were Jews and because they kept all the law. And that's what they were teaching people, that the Jews were favored by God above all others and that they deserved the favor of God. And that's what Jesus had been talking about all along. And so here, as Luke takes this circumstance, which which happened, we're not sure exactly where it happened in terms of here, but he takes it and puts it here to illustrate the truth of everything he's been saying. Here we have a sense of, of this need for thanksgiving as opposed to this idea of entitlement, that we deserve goodness from God uh, because we are essentially good people. So here we see, as we look here at these ten lepers, we're reminded to give glory to God by giving thanks. I'm divided into three things, and simply to, to make it three words, simple to follow. The first is we're going to look at grace. Then we're going to talk about gratitude, and then we're going to talk about glory as we make our way through these passages. The first we're going to talk about here is the grace of God. It begins here as Luke introduces it for us. He says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Here we see, as this story begins, we see that God moves here in grace. He moves in grace, pursuing his purpose. It's interesting, as Luke gives us here, and, and although he hasn't put it in chronological order, and he doesn't give us any real details here. He gives us the general context. So he tells us here at the beginning, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem. And we know this is getting close to the end of Jesus' life, and he is, as we've already seen, making his way to Jerusalem here. And this is the only thing, really, that Luke gives us about the context of what happens here. He is making his way to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem, he comes down from Galilee and he's coming down towards Samaria. The introduction that Luke gives us here is a reminder of what Jesus is doing. That little phrase, it's easy to pass over. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem. Think, okay, well, that's where he's going. But we need to ask the question, why is that the only detail that Paul or that Luke gives us here? Why is it here that he tells us he's going to Jerusalem? Why does he remind us of that? Because the reason Jesus is going to Jerusalem is the reason he came. It's the whole point of why he was here on earth. He didn't come to condemn the Pharisees. That's not why he came. That was part of what he did to be able to teach and instruct and guide people to to the truth. But he didn't come to condemn the Pharisees. 
He didn't come to show us a new way to live or a new experience of life, although we certainly learned a great deal about how to live from him. He didn't come to bring healing to lepers or the blind or or the lame or the maimed. He didn't come to do that as his purpose. They were all things that he did, but that wasn't why he came. When Luke writes here that he went to Jerusalem, it's just a subtle reminder about why he came. He is going to Jerusalem because he came to bring salvation from sin. He is on his way to Jerusalem here to die on the cross. So this whole episode that takes place, as Luke tells us that he's going on his way to Jerusalem, he is headed to Jerusalem on purpose, for the great purpose We're reminded, you know, as we think of this Christmas season, we're reminded of of what they were told when Jesus came and how they were to name him. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came. And this is just Luke's subtle way of reminding us the reason Jesus is going about this way. The reason Jesus is doing what he's doing is because he's going to the cross to die for sins. Everything Jesus did was to that purpose, to instruct us to that way. Luke never wants us to forget what Jesus was here to do. And so we've seen as we've gone through this far in Luke how many times he either says it explicitly or he'll put in little reminders just like this to remind us why Jesus came. And that time here is getting very close. But as he's doing that and as he's got his face set to go to Jerusalem and he's going to Jerusalem because he's going there to save from sin, it's not a uh, uh, just a a blinded focus towards where he's going and everything else gets lost in the way. As we come through this and as he makes his way to Jerusalem, we are reminded over and over again the reason he's going to Jerusalem is for people. People are important. Luke is considered a great historian. So he's the writer of this gospel and also of Acts. And generally, he is considered to be a very good historian. He's, he's good with his, his uh, dates and putting things in order and places and names. And so he's been looked on as a, a good way to see how it all fits together and see history. Good with his details, good with his facts. Yet here, he's very vague. Right? The, the whole description. So he's going to Jerusalem. He passes through Samaria and Galilee, and that's about all we're told. And then the next thing he says is he meets these ten men in a certain village. Doesn't tell us the name of the village, doesn't really tell us where it's at. It's really vague, because the village really doesn't matter. He's vague here because the point of the story, the point of what happens here as Jesus goes through and does what he does, is not where he's at. Or even what he's doing, the point is what happens with these ten men. Luke is helping us to focus on it doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter where Jesus is at. Let's just see what happens with these ten men. His focus is always on people. Jesus didn't come to gain honor, prestige among people. He wasn't seeking uh, uh, honor from the, the Pharisees or the religious establishment, clearly. He wasn't trying to have people lift him up and praise him for being some great man. He had all of that. If he wanted all of that, he didn't need to leave heaven. He had all of that. So he didn't come for honor or prestige. He came because we were in need. 
desperate, desperate need. In events like this, where we see throughout the Gospels, in events like this, we see his genuine love for people. And as we follow, as the people of God, disciples of God, who are making disciples for God, as we follow Jesus on his mission, we're reminded it's about people. It's not about how, how big an institution we can build or how much prestige we can get or, or honor we can get from people or accolades from others. What we do when we follow Jesus is we follow Jesus in his love for people to see them genuinely see good, especially the good of their eternal well-being. We also learn something as we look at this about our own hearts, about the hearts of what it is to be human. Jesus here shows us that he moves in grace, but as he moves here in grace, moving to Jerusalem and through the, the towns, as he moves, he acts in mercy. There was a great need here. He meets, as we've seen in verse 12 there, he meets 10 men who were lepers. Now, we've talked about leprosy and, and lepers before. We've seen them before in Luke chapter 5 and, and other places throughout Scripture. Um, it's probably what we now know as Hansen's disease. And even now, it's still a scary disease. We don't really know how to, how to, to cure it. it. We can manage it a little better than we used to. But here, if you had leprosy, you had no hope. Your life was basically over. The, the, the life of someone who had leprosy was to be cast out of their life entirely. They would live in leper colonies outside of the villages. If they went in anywhere near anyone, they had to call out that they were unclean and live a completely isolated life. If they were religious, as, as these probably were, and we hope they were, they had no way to continue to worship with others. They weren't allowed into the temples or the synagogues. So they couldn't worship any longer as they, they normally would. So here we see Jesus again interacting with the outcast of society. But here he's not interacting with these outcasts of society. The lesson here isn't that he's going to the outcasts of society because they're more deserving or that they're more righteous than those who are the Pharisees. They're, they're not. They're not more deserving. They're not more righteous. But rather, this whole thing, this whole illustration of this event illustrates how deeply self-centered every one of us are. No matter whether we're the Pharisees who think that our self-righteousness will be enough or whether we're the outcast of society, it doesn't matter where you fit in that scale of society. Uh, our, our hearts are all the same. We are all desperately self-centered. So whether it was the Pharisee or whether it was the outcast, Jesus isn't going there because they deserve it. He's not offering uh, healing because they deserve it. But here, these men had no hope or future without the intervention of God. If God doesn't intervene, they will die completely isolated. There was no cure. There was no way to manage it. And the result of this, de this disease is uh, a complete cutoff from society. It's interesting to me here in verse 12. It says, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. That phrase, stood afar off, is a phrase which is filled with imagery. So that could mean to stand afar off. The, the laws around uh, leprosy were, depending on how the wind was blowing, meant you had to be no closer to a person than two meters away. 
It could be, if you were on the wrong side of the wind, it could mean that you had to be as much as 150 meters away from anybody who was not a leper. So they had real distance. They couldn't get close to anyone. And here it says they stood afar off. They were separated. And because it says that they had to lift their voices, they were probably further away than the the nearest of two meters. They were afar off here. To me, their physical situation, uh, as we can imagine that, gives image to their spiritual situation also. And our spiritual situation. Because of our sin. And leprosy in the Bible is often used as a type of sin. But because of our sin, we are far off from God. Far away from him. Separated. And like the lepers, without intervention... Without the intervention of God, we are completely without hope. Which makes the, the response, this situation where they are in a place where without the intervention of God, their, their life is, is really over. They have no hope. They have no future. And then God intervenes. And at first, it makes us look as we think towards the end of what happens that Jesus heals them it makes their response a little confusing at first here are people who have no hope who have no future and they are given a hope and a future and they just run off that seems a little confusing at first why they would do that but nevertheless as Jesus meets these 10 men and they call out to him Lord have mercy on us Jesus shows compassion you know, the men don't ask for healing. So they don't yell out to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal us. They call out and they ask for mercy. Were they expecting healing from their plea? Probably. I mean, they were like almost everybody else in Jerusalem and said, by now we're getting close to the end of Jesus' life. So we've had well over two years now of, of seeing and hearing the word go around that Jesus can heal and has healed lepers before and, and blind and, and done all these amazing things. So the word gets around. So when they cry out for Jesus to have mercy, we don't know exactly what they were expecting, but surely somewhere in their mind they were hoping and thinking and expecting that that would be healing. Because really, what else is it that you really need in that point? But they don't seem to be asking Jesus for anything more than some blessing or physical relief. That's really what they want. Maybe they wanted some relief. Maybe they wanted healing, so it would be completely gone. But really, they're really seeking God for nothing more than a blessing or some sort of relief. It wasn't uncommon for people to do that because they knew Jesus could heal. But regardless of what their motive was, whether they thought Jesus would heal them or whether they thought Jesus would just give some relief or even pass by, regardless of what their motive was, in his great compassion, Jesus heals them. He heals these ten men of their leprosy and he brings relief from their temporary maladies. So that temporary pain they have, that temporary situation they have with their um, their leprosy, which is going to cause them to die, is now gone. And they can continue to live their life as they did. So he brings that relief. Here he doesn't require anything of them except obedience. So all he says, as we see here in Jesus giving this, he says to those, those ten men who call to him afar off, 
He says, go, go show yourself to the priest. Now, the reason he tells them to do that is because at that time, it was the priest who could declare someone clean from leprosy. So if you had leprosy and then it went away, you would go to the, the priest. The priest would had a, a very long process. It took about eight days for them to go through the process, all these tests. They had to look through all of their hair and do all of these things to make sure that after eight days, it was clear the leprosy was gone. So the idea was, Jesus says, just go. Go to see the priest. So Jesus was saying, I've healed you. And then it says, as they went, they found the healing. So all Jesus required of them here for the healing was that they simply obeyed what he said. He said, go on your way and find healing. And they did. And as they went, they found themselves to be healed from that leprosy. As the story goes through, or not the story, but as the event goes through, we're, we're drawn to assume here as we look here that nine of these men are Jews. And so they're probably headed off perhaps to Jerusalem, to the, the main temple there in Jerusalem, to find uh, the, uh, the clearing from the priests there. One of them is a Samaritan. He couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. He wasn't there, so he would have gone probably to Gerizim where they had their center of worship to try and find someone there that could clear him of his leprosy. And so that probably would have been where he would have headed. But here in this whole process, it's another one of those, those great subtle miracles of Jesus. Like sometimes Jesus made a, a, a big deal out of what he did. Uh, to illustrate something. You know, like with the, a blind man, he, he takes some dirt and spits in it and rubs it in his eyes and then does it again. And, or sometimes he'll, he'll touch him or, or you're raising from the, the dead like he did with, with Lazarus. And then sometimes he does these miracles where that you just, if you weren't watching, you'd completely miss it. Here the miracle was he doesn't walk over to them. He doesn't do anything spectacular. And, uh, he just says... Off you go, go to the priests. You get there, you'll be fine. You know, we would, if we were doing this, and I can imagine if we were to turn this into a movie, you know, these men would have walked off and the clouds would open and sunlight would stream through and we'd make a whole deal out of the, how the men got, got healed. But not Jesus. For Jesus, it was, just go tell the priests. And when they obey his word, they find themselves healed. But as we said, we're drawn to see that nine of these men here in Luke 17, nine of these men are Jews. One is a Samaritan. And Jesus makes a point of drawing out the fact that this one is a Samaritan. Because what's he trying to, what's Luke trying to illustrate here as he goes through this uh, event? Is he's trying to illustrate again what Jesus has been talking about to the Pharisees all along. Just because you are a Jew doesn't mean you deserve all the goodness of God. Just because you are a Jew doesn't mean you deserve God's favor. And that's what these nine assumed. And off they went. The one that comes back is the Samaritan. But it's interesting, this one, this Samaritan comes back because he's not satisfied with the healing. He's not satisfied with what he has done. He's experienced the power of Jesus he has turned and he's gone his way and he started on his way to go be uh, cleared by the priest and he finds himself healed. He has experienced the amazing, cleansing, healing power of God in his life and it's not enough 
So he comes back. And the reason it's not enough is because really the whole point of all of this is not the experience. In all the things we read in Scripture, experience and these, these things to God really are meh. They're never really the point. And here, this one gets it. He gets it. The healing, not enough. It's not enough to satisfy. He is drawn to the one who did the healing. He is drawn to Jesus, to know Jesus. He understood as he left that spot and as he went on his way and he found himself healed, he understood that there was more going on in that moment than just a healing. He recognized that something happened there that was bigger than himself, that was about more than just him. There was something amazing here about Jesus. And so, while the nine run off and they go on their way to do what they need to do, this one delays his restoration process to seek Jesus and offer thanks. So instead of going and finding himself and beginning the process of saying, I need to, to be cleared now and I can go see my family and I can start my life again, he delays all of that so that he can go back and see Jesus and give his thanks. It's clear that he wasn't compelled to return. But he recognized there was more to Jesus than the others saw. Much more than what the others saw. He recognized the depth of God's mercy. And so he comes back and he worships God. It says in verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. He returned with a clear purpose. The reason this man comes back is to worship. He returns moved by something deeper than the healing. It was more than that. The fact, as we've said before, that he's a Samaritan is significant also. But he recognizes that Jesus is more than just a healer. He's more than just a, a, a magician or a trickster. He's recognizing that Jesus is God, and so he humbles himself. He comes back and he throws himself at his feet and he worships him. Now, I want you to notice his position this time. So we read here in verse 16, and fell down on his face. Where is he? At his feet. At his feet. Where was he before this? Afar off. He was afar off. Separated. He couldn't come near Jesus. And now we find him not afar off, but at his feet. He is brought near. He is close. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, something amazing is taking place here. Something more than the healing of leprosy. And that's the point of what Jesus is making as he he puts this out. And that's what Luke wants us to see as he places this event in this uh, narrative here in the way that he has. So it's something magnificent, something much greater than a healing has happened. And as he falls down at the feet of Jesus, having given him glory, it says that he was giving him thanks. His worship is full of thanks. Here is a man who genuinely recognizes what has happened. Genuinely. He has been given a gift he knows he does not deserve. He knows this is more, far more than he deserves. He understands. He's walked off and he's found this. He understands that he's been given his life back. That morning when he woke up, he had no life. He was going to die alone in a leper colony. Without family, without friends, without a place to worship, without any hope. And now he has been given his life back. He is back to life. He can go back to his family. He can go back to his job. He can, he can go back to life. He can find his place in society again. He can worship again with others around him. His life has been given back. And he's not running around saying, look at me, look at me, I'm clean, I'm clean. Instead, he's running back to Jesus saying, look at him, look at him. He made me clean. The other nine, where are they? Running off saying, look at me, look at me, I'm clean. But this one recognized something far greater. This kind of thankfulness is something we can all learn from. A genuine desire to know God more truly and to proclaim him more freely through the mercy he shows us daily. This is a true spirit of Christianity. It would do us all good to be like this one cleansed of leprosy to speak more openly of God's goodness. Let's say he comes back with a loud voice glorifying God. It would do us all good to respond more often in humble prayer, to fall at his feet in praise and thanksgiving. It would do us all good to be a lot more thankful to the God who has given us so much. And so the episode continues. The man comes back, falls at his feet in thankfulness and gives glory to God. And here we find, having looked at this grace and at the the gratitude that has been given, we see finally the glory of God. As we look here, we're reminded to or called to remember, this isn't what you deserve. It's interesting, isn't it, that at the beginning of this episode, as Jesus walks past these men, they call out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. By the time we get to the end of this event, they're gone, which shows us here that their call, their plea for mercy was empty. 
It was an empty call for mercy. See, what was the difference between the one that returned and the nine who didn't? What was the difference there? The nine who didn't return didn't really believe they needed mercy. They called for it, but they didn't believe they needed it. What they believed was they deserved it. They believed it was their right. That they had been done wrong. The one who came back knew that this was not what he deserved. He had been given a gift. A great and glorious gift of grace. They believed they were entitled to it. We see it, we hear it all the time. Maybe even in our own lives at times. We've been dealt a bad hand. God has not done me right. God owes me. He owes me better than this. I've served him. I've done all this or I've tried to live right. God owes me better than this. We are God's chosen people. God owes us. That's how the Jews thought. It's how too many people think. I deserve better. So when God chooses to show grace and give me better, instead of responding in thankfulness, I respond in an attitude of entitlement. Of course God gave me better. I deserved it. I've given my life for him. It's how most people view God, that he owes us better. Our attitude of entitlement says because we're good, we deserve good things. These men believe they deserved better. Don't get me wrong, God doesn't desire evil. He doesn't desire hurt or pain on people or on their lives. It's not what he wants for anyone. It's not his desire to see us suffer and in pain. But that desire, that desire God has that he doesn't want to see us suffer, that he doesn't enjoy seeing people in pain and suffering and hurt, that desire doesn't mean he owes us the removal of it. God doesn't owe us the removal of the pain and the suffering and the hurt. You see, the suffering and the pain and the death and all that we experience in life are a result of our sin. That's why we suffer pain and trouble and trial, because we live in a world of sin. We live in a world of trouble. So the reality is, what I get is really what I deserve. That's what I deserve. Relief from that. Relief from the suffering. Relief from the pain. Relief from the hurt. Well, that is a gift of God's grace. That is a glorious gift of God's grace. That is, I'm not getting what I deserve. Everything over that is grace. God does not owe you blessing. Contrary to what so many of these televangelists and these churches are telling you, that God wants you to be healthy, rich, and wise, God does not owe you that. Everything over that is grace. It's a gift. It is the gift of a loving God to the people that he loves beyond imagine. 
In his grace and in his mercy, he provides for us above what we deserve. To find that relief, you must, like the Samaritan, see beyond the circumstances and look for God. See beyond the healing. See, the nine who ran away, they saw the healing and that was all they saw. But the one Samaritan saw the healing and knew this is a pointer to something better, to someone better. And he sought God. So give God what he deserves. God deserves all the glory. Why did the nine not return? Because they didn't care about God. One. One understood that God deserves credit for what happened. He knew. Jesus is the one who deserves the credit for this. Not me. Not anyone else. Now, Jesus isn't surprised by what happens and by what goes on here and that nine go away and one comes back. He's not surprised by that. But he expresses in these rhetorical questions he gives a sense in which he expects all ten to return and give him thanks and to give him glory. Now, why would he speak this way with the expectation that all ten should come back and give him thanks? Because he deserves it. He deserves that thanks. He has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has done for us what we do not deserve. This episode, this event concludes this way. It says in verse 19, as he speaks one last time, as we see to the Samaritan. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And this is where we see the real difference between this one and the other nine. The phrase, uh, has made you well, differs from the other places where it talks about cleansing or healing. So verse 14, where it talks about them being cleansed, and verse 15, where it says they were healed, is a different word, different expression. When we get down here to verse 19, it says, has made you well, Jesus uses a word which through the Gospels is most often used when speaking about salvation. And so when we get here, yet the nine were cleansed. The nine had their body healed. But the one who comes back and recognizes Jesus as who he is, he's the one who finds genuine salvation. He's the one who finds what God truly offers. And this is where God is most glorified. He is most glorified in the salvation of people. And this one man brings the greatest glory to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People of God are to be a people of gratitude, of great thankfulness. We've recognized that what God does for us is undeserved. We use words like mercy and grace. And sometimes we use them too flippantly, forgetting that those words, mercy means I'm not getting what I deserve. And grace means I'm getting far beyond. I'm getting what I don't deserve. 
we've recognised that what God does for us is undeserved. God has seen us from afar and he has brought us near. So praise him and thank him. See, this is what we, we're celebrating. You know, we're talking about, about Advent and, and thinking about what it means to live between the comings of Jesus. To live after his first coming, to die on the cross, and to live before his second coming where he will make everything new. And what, one of the things that we do as we live in between these comings is we live in great thankfulness for what he has done for us. Maybe you've been living thinking that God has done you wrong as a believer or unbeliever, that he owes you better. God has already done far better than you deserve. No matter what your circumstances, no matter where you're at in life, irrelevant, God has already done far better than you deserve. And still, he offers you the opportunity to know the fullness of his grace. To know the great extent of his grace through the salvation that comes by believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. This is why Jesus came. John tells us in his gospel, as Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 17, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is why he came, to bring the greatness of his grace. Let me close with these words from Psalm 92 and verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for the instruction, the reminder and the encouragement to give you the thanks that you deserve. Too often we follow our old nature in forgetting just how deep, how glorious your forgiveness is, the grace that you have shown us. Dear God, let us, as we sung before, have hearts full of thankfulness. We praise you and we thank you with humble hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.